So if you grab your Bibles, let's open up to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to be taking a look um, this morning just in light of our last couple months. We've been looking and studying the seven letters that Jesus gave to the seven churches that we find in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. It's been so good. I know there's been a lot of feedback. Uh, God's been working in a lot of hearts through this study. Uh, it's something you can find on our website if you want to visit those teachings. Uh, God has a lot to say, very practical things for us today, especially for the believers in the church in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And you can go to our website, come to freedom.com, and you can find all our sermons right there uh, and enjoy those. But in light of those studies, we're left with a lot of questions. Now, the Apostle John wrote uh, the book of Revelation, and we know that John had a similar uh, situation, what was going on in his world at that time, uh, very similar to what a lot of us are going through. For John, he was under Roman rule of the day in the kingdom there. There were the apostles had all been martyred, and John is the last one uh, to be alive. The church was being persecuted, it was compromising, it was tolerating, and it was backsliding. And John was exiled to the island of Patmos, as we know. Probably felt a lot like being quarantined without toilet paper. So, left with all these questions, and it was about to get worse. So John needed, and we need also, a heavenly perspective. And it's really my heart, my prayer for our time and study this morning, that we'd really be looking to God and seeing what he sees, having a heavenly perspective as we consider this morning together. So we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 4 this morning. And I want to look here, and I'm going to read for you verse 1, the last part of it. And I want us to listen to the text and then look carefully and listen for the key word or phrase or theme here. It says, Come up here, and I will show you things that must take place after this. So Jesus is going to show John here the end. Well, what's the end? Well, that is that time in history, yet future for us, but God has seen it all, where we have God's wrath, Satan at work, horror of human rebellion all coming together. In Revelation chapter 1, if you jump back there and look at verse 19, it says, Write these things that you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So we are now in the third division of the book. In chapter 4 here, it really is now the future. So, after what things? That's the question here. Well, it's after the things of chapter 2 and 3 which are the things of the church. So chapters 2 and 3 are the messages of Jesus to the complete church. And I hope you guys have gotten this and you see that we, as we studied the seven letters to the churches, they were written to seven actual churches, local churches, but it went beyond the local churches because it was really for churches of all time, thus the complete church. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Lord or the Spirit says to what? The church is. So the number seven in the Bible, it is symbolic. It is the number of completion. And these messages 
were for the complete church during history. So chapter 4 here this morning now deals with those things after the church age. So once the church has completed its ministry and it's finished its course, then we come to chapter 4. So the first thing that we read of happening after the message to the church is, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So you see here where he said, I looked or I heard. John was an eyewitness to these things. And we see that all the way back in chapter 1, verse 10. So we're told in scriptures that there will be a generation of believers that will not see death, but they will be translated into their new bodies. And that takes us to a scripture I want to check out with you guys in John's gospel, chapter 14. And look what Jesus says here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So this is the first promise that Jesus gave in regards of returning for his kids, his believers, his followers. So this passage does not reveal the time or the circumstances which will be revealed by the apostles. I also want us to note that this passage tells us that Jesus will take believers to heaven to be with him. So the key to all this is Jesus was going to heaven to prepare a place for us and he promised to take us to heaven to be with him. Now this word mansions, this is referring to our resurrected bodies. I want to look at 2 Corinthians with you in chapter 5. The first eight verses, this is the Apostle Paul now. And in his second letter to the church in Corinth, he said this. For we know that our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. We have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight, And we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I love that passage. I don't know if you guys groan like I groan, but I can't wait to go home. Right? Our citizenship, it's in heaven. 
Some of us are homesick. Now, this morning we are considering the rapture of the church. And one of the best passages that we find in the scriptures is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn there. Otherwise, check this out on your screen. Verses 13 to 18. And I'm hoping this is one that you will highlight and circle in your Bible. Why? Because in this passage, guys, very clear about the rapture of the believer. It tells us in verse 13, I don't want you to be ignorant. So it's something that we find in God's word that he doesn't want us to be ignorant about. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So God has asked us to comfort one another with these words. And this is one reason why we should highlight this passage, know it, cling to it, believe it. So in light of the, the topic, the rapture of the church, if you look here, caught up, okay, the Greek word is harpazo. It means to snatch out or away, to seize by force, to claim for oneself eagerly to be raptured. You see, guys, our English word rapture comes from the Latin word rapio or rapier, which is in the Latin translation of the Greek word harpazo. So the word rapture, it's not in the English Bible, but it is in the Latin Vulgate Bible, kind of like the Trinity. That word's not found in the Bible, but we see scriptures that clearly teach to the Trinity, the Godhead, um, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just like we see many scriptures here that refer to or speak to the rapture of the church. So the word rapture, it's been used to describe an event where the Lord catches away his church from the earth. I love prophecy. I love studying it. And the more I study it, I believe that catching away the rapture of the church is very near. Great pastor, you may say, but who's the church? Well, I'm glad you asked. Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, Baptists, did I say them already? Whatever denomination, can name them all, will not be raptured. You see, those who will be raptured are true Christians. You see, the church, yes, there's only one church and its members are those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Those who believe in their heart that Jesus died and rose again from the dead and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. They're the ones who are saved. 
So you may need to do that right now. Maybe you've placed your faith, your hope, in some institution or some denomination. You need to repent and believe on Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've placed your hopes of salvation upon your works, yourself, or someone else, rather than the only Savior, the righteous Jesus Christ. You need to repent and believe. You know, God, he loves us. That's one thing. He so loved the world. He loves us all. That's one thing I love, and I hope that you get. If you aren't a believer, you need to read the word of God. Don't take my word for it. But when you read the scriptures, you're going to see that there is a very real God, the creator of heaven and earth, who loves you so much that he laid down his life that you may have eternal life. Put your faith in Jesus. Become a part of his family. So let's get back to the rapture. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians this time. Chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 50 to 58 together here. Or you can take a look on the screen. I'll read here starting in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? And O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So there is this mystery, something that was previously hid, but now it's being revealed. So the question is, will people have time at the rapture to repent, still make it to be part of it? No. Did you guys catch here the twinkling of an eye? That's the moment light hits your cornea, which is about a billionth of a second. It's not the blink of an eye. That's about a half a second or 300 to 400 milliseconds. In other words, guys, Jesus is coming in a twinkle, not a blinkle. It's going to be very fast. By the time you blink, you have already been in heaven for a little while. Pretty cool. So concerning the rapture of the church, Jesus warned his disciples to watch and to be ready. It's kind of like a woman who's pregnant. All the signs 
are there the belly's getting big you got special cravings i want this i want that you know the baby's there it's been kicking you just don't know the day or the hour but all the signs are out so to try to convince her that she's not going to have a child that's rather foolish so as you look at the book of revelation in a chronological order you will have to place the rapture of the church here in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. I want us to note, though this verse does not teach the rapture of the church, this is where the rapture would fit chronologically speaking. And we're told a door was open in heaven. Back in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 and verse 10, there was an open door for the church. And Jesus promised to keep them out of the hour of trial or temptation which shall come upon the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So a key here is Jesus promised the faithful church that they would escape, chapter 3, verse 10, escape from the coming judgment that was upon the earth. Now we also know from 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 that the church, believers, are not appointed to wrath. Okay? That's not for us. And we know in the context of Scripture what's yet future, the tribulation that we see in chapter 6 to 19 in Revelation, that is God's judgment, wrath, upon the entire world. The church is not even mentioned in those chapters. Where are they? I believe they are raptured. They are with the Lord in heaven, as we've been reading here. And we're not appointed to wrath, so we can't be here. Jesus took that upon himself for you and for I. Now, let's take a look at Luke chapter 21, verse 34. It says, Jesus said, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness, the cares of this life in the day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. I love that John had that uh, vision. And this is what he's hearing taking place as he was caught up into heaven. Revelation 1.10 there. Jesus' voice was like this loud trumpet. And trumpets are loud. They're very distinct. I want to go back to 1 Thessalonians. Look at verse 16 once again with me. For the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So from that point on, we will forever be with the Lord. We will not be sitting on clouds playing little bitty harps and being bored. 
we will have this heavenly scene as we see through the book of Revelation for, the, for at least seven years, okay? And then we will come back to earth with Jesus during the second coming to reign with him for a thousand years, the millennium. So God would only reveal it to John from a heavenly perspective. And I think that is something we need to grasp here. It's something we need to get. He had to first see who was who and what was what. The glory, the power, the majesty, the sovereignty of God. And then we see in Revelation 4, look at verse 2 with me. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one who sat on the throne. So, the throne. Because there would be a lot of questions, the true heavenly perspective was the way to answering them. I want to share with you a neat passage from Job, chapter 42. I love this. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I love this. Job sees the Lord. He recants all his bad thinking, all the things he had proclaimed, and he repents here. Reminds me a lot of the prophet Isaiah. We are all very familiar with chapter 6. It says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is a prophet of God's. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. He was high. He was lifted up in the train of his robe. It filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. In two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, a heavenly perspective has the effect of setting things straight and answering our questions in different ways. And we need this. This perspective, it really stands in stark contrast to the messiness of the churches that we saw in chapters 2 and 3. And yet, the book shows us the church is being surrounded by God's glory. And when we look to Him, when we see Him, we get 
the reality of just how glorious he is. And we understand. And we see back now in Revelation 4. Look at verse 3. He who sat there. This is what John's seeing. He who sat there was like jasper and sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So words. There were none. Reference here, indescribable, analogies. There were none for comparison. See, nothing concrete, yet he who was sitting in the throne was like Jasper, Sardis. Okay, it makes me think a lot of Ezekiel chapter 1. You guys, check it out. It's blow your mind. In verse 27, he said he looked, or he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. He looked like fire. A brilliant light surrounded him. A rainbow or a halo like an emerald. The next verse says, In an appearance of a rainbow and in clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. So guys, we see the same thing taking place here. Look at verse 5 now in Revelation 4. John, and from the throne, he's seeing these lightnings. It preceded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits. So think about that. Thunder and lightning. I love thunderstorms. Love it. But it represents God's presence makes me think of exodus 19 16 and it also in revelation speaks to his judgments you guys can read chapter 11 16 also chapter 16 um seven lampstands of fire here which are the seven spirits of god the holy spirit we see that in verses four and five of chapter one representing the complete nature of his work so if we look now at verses 6 to 8, it says before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature like, or had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So we see these gnarly cherubim here. Okay, faces of a lion, calf. Man, eagle, eagle, kind of like there in Ezekiel chapter 1. I think it's verse 10. Also having six wings. We saw that in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2 there. And they were full of eyes. What does that speak to? Well, that's about perception. See things as they really are. And so, what do these awesome creatures do? They worship. That's what they do. They worship. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 
Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Guys, this is eternal. That's what it's speaking to. The heavenly perspective, the eternal perspective that God is holy, that he is almighty, the eternal one who is on the throne all of the time. But what about us? The church. Well, we have just seen our mess in chapters 2 and 3, but here we have a different perspective. Again, in verse 4, we have 24 elders. They are representatives of the church. Thrones dressed in white with crowns. It makes me think of Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And aren't you glad that God is faithful to do that? I sure am. So they're dressed in white, cleansed and made righteous. Makes me think of the end of Revelation in chapter 19. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to array in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. So these thrones and crowns, the promise to rule and to reign with him, that's pretty cool. So I'm going to rattle off a few scriptures for you guys real quick. We'll look at Luke 22, 29, that also speaks to this. Jesus speaking here says, And I will sp- uh, bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on my thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then in 2 Timothy 2.11, it says, this is a faithful saying. So pay attention. He says, for if we died with him, we also shall live with him. And if we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, He also will deny us. And if we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Love it. 2 Timothy 4.7 I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is the Apostle Paul writing at the end of his life. And then verse 80 says this, Finally there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Guys, we also see this in Revelation 3, 21, chapter 5, verse 10, and then chapter 20, verse 4. The victor's crown. Man, ran the race and won. Stayed the course. Fought the good fight. And then the place of privilege and reward makes me think of Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, that's what we're looking for, Him, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Isn't that so cool? The second we're raptured, guys, we are going to be like Him. 1 John chapter 3, check out the first three verses there. Man, can't wait for that day. But let's keep 
perspective correct, right? What do we do with our part of glory? Well, let's take a look at verses 9 through 11 in chapter 4 of Revelation. It says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So what's the lesson here, brothers and sisters? Who is this really all about? It's Jesus, guys. Whose throne? It's his. Who's in the center? Who's getting the glory? Whose crown? You see, this is the way things really are. That's why heavenly perspective is so needed. So how are you living? I would encourage you, live according to the throne and the one who sits upon it. And what questions do you have now? I would encourage you to take them to the throne. Take a look with me here in Revelation 21. Verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man or with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I give you the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. I sure hope you're thirst. You hunger for the Lord because he alone will f- satisfy. Fountains of water of life freely given i hope you receive that one last scripture i want to look at with you guys as we close the teaching this morning look at verse three here in first peter chapter one with me it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And the verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, 
Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love it, guys. I love how the Word of God helps us to see with a heavenly perspective what is reality, what is true. Let's pray. Father, we know that your Word tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please you and that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. God, we want to be those who are seeking you diligently. Father, who have our minds on those eternal things, the heavenly perspective, God, that we would walk by faith and not by sight, that we would bring a smile to your face, Father, knowing that you are pleased with us. So we do pray as we've been blessed today to take in your word. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that we would be diligent to keep seeking or keep reading, keep studying, Father. In these times, I, I would ask that you would show us how we could pray just to commune with you, talk with you, to be real with you. We know that you care, Father. We know that you hear. And we're so thankful for that. So we do pray, Lord, that you just be with us this week. God, go before us. Let your will be done. And even in the light of this crisis uh, that we're facing, God, may we shine for you. We want people to come to know you. There's nothing better, Lord, to know that your sins are forgiven, to know that we have eternal life, knowing that you could come back any day and that we could see you face to face, maybe today, Lord. So we would say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.